listening to a download from the outdoorstation.co.uk. Number 
and welcome back to another podcast at the Outdoor Station. And this one is a belter. Have you noticed recently the flurry of inspiring podcasts we've been creating? Speaking to interesting people doing interesting things. The people are getting away from the dull economic crisis, the miserable weather and the boring headlines. Yes, we speak to people who inspire us to do things because they're doing things. Take cycle touring, for example. It's popular, especially during these financially tight times. So how about this? Have you heard about the solar cyclists? No, neither have I. However, they've just cycled around the world. They left on the 14th of May of last year and arrived back on the 22nd of February of this year and cycled in total 13,583 miles, 163 days and averaging 83.33 miles a day. They consisted of Susie Wielden, Jamie Vining and Ian Henderson and they've been raising money for solar aid. Now, what I suggest you do is look at the blog site to accompany this two-part interview. The website address is thesolarcyclediaries.com. Thesolarcyclediaries.com. It's eloquent, it's funny, it's full of useful information, both technical and practical, and when you listen to Susie's voice, you can hear the enthusiasm pouring off the page. This is part one of a two-part interview where Susie tells us how the project came about and the team involved. If you do log on to the blog site as you listen to this, please be prepared to get totally hooked. Well, the project um, was to essentially to cycle around the world promoting solar power. Um, but actually that came about um, through a, a, quite a few different channels because initially the idea stemmed from myself doing various different parts of environmental work. Um, in fact, back in 2004 with a couple of mates setting up a, um, a sustainable living website um, and so sort of reading about sustainable living and almost the solutions to climate change and things that we could do uh, rather than sort of focusing on the, posit- uh, sorry, the problems and the negative side of that. Um, and then on the other side, um, I just started to get very, very much into adventure travel and had uh, just completed the Marathon de Saab, which is a, it's six marathons back to back in the Sahara. Um, and so I, I sort of came back from that and I was chatting with a friend of mine and, uh, and sort of looking, well, once, uh, once I sort of recovered from that for, for a new adventure and a new challenge um and and it sort of struck me that what i would 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 love to do was to do some adventure challenge but that also involved the promotion of sustainable living or solutions to climate change um and while i've been in the sahara one of the things that had very much uh struck me was the the intensity of the sunlight uh, as you could probably imagine and um and what i'd done while i was there was i'd taken a small solio solar panel and it had charged just my ipod so that while i was running along i had music and all the rest of it and uh as the days progressed more and more people's um, iPods or, or MP3 players or whatever began to run out, and so they were sort of running through the desert with, with nothing but their own thoughts. And I was quite happily oblivious to everything, singing along to ACDC, because I'd got my solar charger with me and was able to sort of charge up my music and, uh, and also other people's as well. And so I sort of began to read more and more about solar power as a result of that. And, uh, and so when I was thinking about a big adventure that I could do, um, the link with solar had sort of been already set in my mind a little bit. Um, and it sort of went through various different stages of what it could be, um, including sort of um, 
taking a solar rickshaw. They they now make these over in India, um, and uh, and are trying, I think trying to try and put them out actually into the mass market in India as well. Um, uh, but that was quite cumbersome in the end. And I spoke to quite a few different companies, including G24, which was the company that ends up sponsoring us and uh, and building the solar panels into our bike panniers. Um, and they discussed sort of making it a slightly less ambitious project, you know, using the, the solar power just for our communications kit and, and doing a bike ride rather than trying to um, put solar panels onto a bigger piece of machinery. Um, and that's really how it sort of eventually settled on being a, a bike trip promoting solar power. And I still to this day have no real knowledge of why it was around the world, but I think it was just that sort of that, I don't know, that wonderful idea of traveling the whole way around the globe. Um, and, and so I think that's sort of how it ended up sort of almost randomly becoming a round-the-world trip. But, uh, but yeah, and the reason that we went through the various different deserts on our trip that we did was also to enable us to promote solar power um, and actually in particular something called the Desertec concept, which is um, using solar power from the world's deserts to um, – to power cities and towns, not necessarily even next to those deserts, but as far away as the Sahara powering Europe or from, you know, the west of China powering the east, uh, which apparently is, is um, a very um, good potential source of energy. Um, um, and okay, had, right, let's, let's, okay, let's, sorry, let's, I'm waffling. <laughs> I only asked one question. <laughs> <laughs> And that was the entire interview over. <laughs> right. Well, I want to I want to talk about the solar stuff and the politics okay. and 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 the reaction to that a bit later on, if if I may, because okay. I've got a feeling. Of course, you may. I've got of course a, you may. If I can get a word I didn't even in. Pause for breath. I don't know how you're going to stop it. Okay, I'll slow down. I'll slow down. <clears throat> yeah, um, but let, let's let's sort of you know, back to the beginning of the project. Um, so it was really more the the solar energy side of it that actually started the ball rolling for you before the cycling. Have I got that clear in my mind? Yeah, absolutely. That was the case. And in fact, I'd uh, actually only cycled uh, four times in the previous 10 years. And I'd fallen off two of those times, once quite dramatically, um, rolling in a, in a sort of a commando roll across the road, which I was quite impressed by, actually. Um, so I hadn't been a cyclist particularly before. But um, but with a friend of mine, Jamie, who eventually I managed to convince to come around the world with me, uh, I took a trip down to, to Spain and really just to trial, you know, whether long-distance cycling would be something that I'd enjoy, having been a, a runner more than a cyclist. And I absolutely loved it. And, uh, and so I was kind of hooked from there. Yeah, hooked. Okay. Now, uh, just to give people a bit of a background about y- yourself, um, I'm reading and doing a bit of cyber-stalking, as I have been doing the last, <laughs> the last couple of days about you. Um, I can see that you're, uh, you're, you're, you've got a bit of a history doing snowboarding and uh, obviously marathon running or extreme running is is, is that correct yeah absolutely um and uh, one of my hobbies as well which i haven't done for quite a while is uh, is also urban free running so sort of running around oh, cities cool. and jumping off buildings yeah it's amazing it's the most incredible way of keeping fit because one it's a bit like being a child and playing because you're just running around and jumping on things um and two it's it's extremely energetic you 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 know you sort of pretty much use every muscle because even more than running you're sort of pulling yourselves over things and jumping over things as well and uh and so, yeah, so if you ever want to try it out, give it a go. <laughs> yeah, well, also, I was, was going to say, it leads into the fact that it gets, it's obviously got you used to falling over and, and, and <laughs> picking yourself up. Yes, it has. It has. But actually, the beauty of falling off a bike is that, well, particularly when you're loaded down, if you fell off a bike without panniers on, I think it would hurt more. But I've only really ever fallen off um, 
continuously at least, um, with panniers on the bike, and they hit the floor before you do. So uh, now I'm a little bit worried that I might st- I might start sticking some back on my bike <laughs> when, I, when I take a corner too far. Safety bars. <laughs> protection, yeah, yeah, pretty much. Okay, so um, now let's let's obviously give the other couple of guys I mentioned as well who, who you went on the trip with, or started the trip with at least. Uh, tell me about James and Ian. So, um, well, Jamie, he uh, was a friend of mine from university, and he has always been an extremely keen cyclist um, from a young age. He lived on the Isle of Wight, and so he basically, you know, rather than persuading his parents to let him out and, and, and take him everywhere, he was he was always on his bike going from friends' houses all the way around the island uh, quite continuously. And, and he had a background in uh, gymnastics, actually. He did that um, at a young age, just with a county level. So he was always a very energetic guy, and he was just working, building a house in France, and uh, and he agreed many, you know, sort of early on in, in, in the in the, I suppose, the organizational process to come across France with me if I was ever going to go any further. And I think then sort of went home one evening and sat down and realized that his house, you know, he hadn't got a mortgage on it. It could technically wait. And whenever, you know, when do you get an opportunity to someone say, you know, do you fancy cycling around the world? Um, and so, so, yeah, in the end, he sort of actually just decided that he'd come along for the whole trip, which was fantastic. Um, and then Ian uh, is, a, is a good friend of mine from a very young age. And, and I was actually at a, an event with him uh, for his sister. And... Uh, and we just got chatting and he was asking me what I was up to and I was saying, well, I'm thinking of planning around the world cycling trip. And he had, uh, it was exactly at that moment, organizing um, uh, a cycle trip to Australia. And so we, we decided to combine forces and, uh, and so he decided to come with us instead. I'm just trying to get the, the sort of background so I can get the um, explain it to our, our listeners where where you were coming from. I mean, you've you've obviously got a, a lot of uh, the environmental side of it is a, is an important part of this trip. Um, you're you're a, a fit group of people anyway, and you're keen on on adventure travel. Um, I'm not. Am I right in thinking this is not sort of a um, do it on the cheap rough camp um, and see where we go? You you sound very very structured sort of people. So you obviously planned fairly uh, fairly detailed exactly your route, where you were staying, and obviously the the um, solar um, visits you were doing on route. It was sort of a mixture of very very unplanned and, and quite organised in that. We, I decided the route, so the, the guys had to unfortunately like it or lump it when I managed to tell them that they were going through the Sahara in the summer. They weren't that pleased, and particularly through a lot of Middle Eastern countries where all the women are covered head to toe for a long time. Um, so, but that was the solar aspect. The idea was to, to try and promote this, um, the desert tech concept by going through the deserts in that way. And as part of that, we had various different projects that we visited along the route. And so the dates of those were set, albeit that we actually had to change a couple and, and, and uh, Particularly in China, we had to move one one back a bit because of our uh, we got we got a little bit delayed. Um, but in terms of where we were staying. Um it was completely unplanned. Um, and we didn't have any guidebooks really when we set off, or, or any idea other than sort of a Google printout of the map of where I, you know, roughly we were going to go. Um, and you know, really, was just sort of where you end up is where you try and find accommodation, or you, if there's nothing, you camp, or you know, or you might choose to camp because you don't really don't want to be staying where there is available. So, so it was a mixture of the two. But we are a little bit older, I suppose, than sort of you know when you're first potentially going to do this as more of a gap year project. And so we did probably stay in um, hotels more than you might if you were doing it sort of at 18 or at 21. Um, but 
those weren't necessarily particularly nice hotels, but, but I definitely think we probably did it in a slightly more luxurious way than we would have done ten years ago. Okay, now l- looking at the, the preparation and planning side of it then, with, with that in mind, uh, obviously uh, you guys are sort of, I think, what, early 30s, is that right? Something like, something like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Right. Okay, so you've, you've got some experience and obviously the, there's a few pennies there stashed away. Um, did you, were the sponsors helping you financially or just sort of with, with equipment on this? They, uh, Nokia helped us financially, which was very, very good um, well, for us, obviously, but, uh, but um, also with kits. So they provided us with phones and the communications um, kit that we had, which all had sort of tracking stuff in it. And also um, the phones that we had allowed us to sort of have, you know, various different maps and navigational stuff on them. And then the solar power company um, just provided us with the solar panels and I suppose almost a bit more sort of PR and support in that way. And then um, the We Support Solar campaign which um, uh, has, um, I, I don't know what the actual term is, but uh, Charlotte Webster, who works for Solar Century, was working on behalf of the solar industry as a whole for the We Support Solar campaign. So those, although Solar Century didn't help us out financially or with any kit, they were very helpful in terms of, um, in, in terms of a bit of promotion for the trip as well um, because we were supporting that We Support, support Solar campaign, as were Solar Aid, the charity that we were raising money for. So, so you were funding all your own, um, the rest of the equipment, the bikes and the spares yeah, and, and absolutely. that sort of things, yeah? Yeah, as I say, we did get a little bit of, of money from Nokia, um, uh, you know, to help with kit and, and, you know, sort of visas and that sort of thing. But we did also have to fund uh, quite a lot of the trip ourselves. Okay, now now looking at the, obviously, what I must say to people, if I haven't mentioned it already in the introduction to this, is to have a look at your, your blog site and, and the website associated with the trip, because I've lost hours just reading it. You're, <laughs> you're, you're very eloquent and very funny the way you, you write. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Which is uh, www.solarcycle.com. Diaries.com and uh, make sure you've got a very large coffee when you, before you start reading it because <laughs> you'll be gone and you'll be thinking, well, where's my bike? I left it somewhere safe. Anyway, um, the uh, the kit, now you, the, obviously you're travelling across continents, you, you left here, I think it was, uh, was it October time in the UK? No, no, actually we left on the 15th of May, so oh, May, we actually okay. left just before the summer and um, the trip in total uh, took us roughly nine months. Um, which was, it was meant to be a 12,000 mile trip, but again, as I say, it was just my thumb and Google Maps that did the, the estimation of distance, so it ended up being 13,500 instead. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so it was the uh, 15th of May that we actually left. Okay, so for, for people who are sort of going off on, on long trips and so on, everybody starts to, once they've worked out the practicalities of where they want to go and so on, they, they start to think about equipment. Now, because you were crossing continents and obviously going through a whole massive range of, of weather conditions, um, the logistics in, in equipment and clothing and so on must have been something else that, that, that uh, was a bit of a, a troublesome thing to organise. It was a little, but not too badly so. Basically what we did before going was to find the lightest possible tents and sleeping bags and cooking equipment because we figured that we'd be going a very long distance and for the the increase in price that it would be, bearing in mind that we'd be living in our tents quite a lot of the time, um, and, you know, for, for having, you know, sort of lighter, um, durable, good kit would actually be worth it for the amount of use that we would get out of it and how important to us it was. Um, and so we ended up buying, I think it was, uh, the, our tents were by Terra Nova um, and uh, they were extremely lightweight. I think some of the lightest in the world. And I think it's Cumulus that did the, the sleeping bags that we had, which are nice sort of goose down and, 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 and very, very light as well. So so that, that was great. And um, we also, we had sort of an Omni stove 
fuels for our cooking. Although, in fact, we actually ended up just using gas for quite a lot of the trip. Um, but there were certain areas of the world where you couldn't get gas, uh, such as the Western Chinese Desert and, and a few other places. So you, you need to have something that will allow you to cook where you don't have the, um, the ability to, to buy refills of gas unless you're going to sort of take a massive canister with you. Um, so we did have to sort of consider that fairly carefully before we went. But in terms of actual kit for the weather, you mentioned, we were very woefully underprepared for the cold weather we encountered because, you know, we'd looked at this and gone, oh, we're going to the desert, it's wonderful, 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 it'll all be hot, and unfortunately it wasn't. So when we hit snow in, in China, I didn't even have any shoes, I had my cycling shoes, but other than that, I just had flip-flops, <laughs> some very embarrassing photos of uh, flip-flops and socks somewhere else. <laughs> yeah, and, and virtually frostbite as well, I noticed. Yeah, yeah, well, I don't know where you, where you draw the line of what's frostbite and what's just a horrible, horrible chill blame, but I still got some on my toe now where the skin you can it, basically the skin sort of all went swelled and then split open and then it went black and I got um so I, I a deep gash wound in one of my toes that's still that's still there and it must have been about five months ago now so so it was it was, it was pretty well I would say it was pretty painful it wasn't painful which was a problem because the guys were complaining that they had cold feet and uh, and I was you know telling them to stop being so you know so silly because mine had been numb for such a long time that you know I couldn't feel it and they sort of looked at me and went numb's not good <laughs> so so, uh, so, yeah, in, in terms of that, I think we could have been a little bit better prepared for the colder weather. So, so are you telling me then that the, the clothing that you took, um, you actually carried everything that you thought you were going to need from, from the word go? You didn't sort of send anything ahead of uh, parcels ahead for, to pick up on the way? No, not at all. I mean, we bought a few clothes when we, we did get cold. I bought a jacket in China and we bought... Um, I bought some shoes <laughs> so that I could actually walk around, and uh, and, and, and a rug. Um, but other than that, no, we just uh, we just sort of picked a few things up on the way. It wasn't technical kit, but it was, you know, you you, you know, you can always buy a, a spare jumper or a, a spare jacket, you know, wherever you are in yeah, the world, really. Yeah. yeah. So uh, well, in that case, I'm very impressed because um, I've seen the obviously pictures there with Boris Johnson at the beginning when he was sending you off. Uh, with a tear in his eye, and um, <laughs> and asking daft questions about uh, why aren't they solar powered? And you said he was. Um, <laughs> the um, so so I mean, and, you, and the bags that were custom made by the the solar company obviously are, are not that much bigger, if if at, bigger at all, than the sort of standard cycle panniers. I mean, you were no. not not particularly oh. laden with equipment, were you? No, not at all. In fact, they are just normal cycle panniers where they and um, they actually. Uh, sewed the solar panel into it because it's this new flexible solar so there are the um oh it's it's the one that's not ortlieb oh, i'm terrible uh but they were altura i think it is the 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 our panniers and i had the um the guys had the bigger panniers uh, I, I don't know what the sizings are but they had the larger altura panniers and i actually just had uh, the smaller ones on my bike and then we had our tents and our roll mats um on top of the on top of the bike rack, and top and that, and that was pretty much it. Sometimes we had to sort of literally strap food and water on top of that. But other than that, we were actually very light compared to all of the cyclists really that we passed. Mm. It's it's interesting actually. I mean, cycle touring is. Uh, we've got a lot of listeners and customers as well who uh, who do cycle touring, and they're starting to um, increasingly now reduce weight. But you do still see them uh, heading off to the continent with a remarkable amount of equipment uh, laden on the front and rear panniers. 
absolutely you do. And, and many of the people that we uh, that we came across during our travels had panniers both at the front and the back, and then had a large bag across the top um, of the back panniers as well. And I, I just sort of looked at them and thought, how on earth can you get up the hills? Because some of the hills, you know, were pretty steep, and I was struggling with the, with the weight that I had in my lowest gear. So I don't know how they do it. I really don't. But I mean, you know, my hats off to anyone that carries that much all over. But um, for us, speed was was more of an interest, and we weren't really worried about. I mean, obviously we're washing our clothes constantly, but you know that you know the places we were going, we didn't need to look particularly good. So you know, so that wasn't much of an issue. And and we would try to interact with people where we were, so we didn't really take that much in the way of reading material or that kind of thing. We sort of maybe had one book at a time that we might take with us each, and and sort of swap that as we went along. Um, but really, we were found that. Obviously, there was a few areas where we really were away from from everything. But in in the main, we were going through um, enough towns and cities that you know, sort of your basic necessities of you know toothpaste and uh, you know, I suppose, I suppose a spare pair of knickers or whatever that you might come across needing, you, you could buy that on the way. Mm, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm, yes, I say equally impressed all, all the time because I, for some reason, visualised that you were obviously sent parcels ahead to to pick up on way to um, just replenish some of the equipment. But um, it's even more impressive that the actual equipment lasted quite happily for the yeah. for the nine months. It did in terms of in terms of my equipment. There was actually a couple of. Um problems with Jamie's because actually I don't know because it's quite complicated to sort of follow the exact trail of the events through the blog but Ian um, left in Egypt but then came back out to join us in Central Asia so we were actually quite fortunate because at that particular point Jamie's um, the rim of his wheel had literally split and he was sort of cycling along with I was carrying his bags at that time because they were heavier than mine um, and, uh, and and you know praying that it wouldn't you know the, you know, the spokes wouldn't completely pull through and the, and the wheel essentially collapsed before we got to um, um, the to Uzbekistan where we were Ian was rejoining us so there was that one opportunity to get some stuff brought out to us through him um, but and we were very fortunate then that we didn't have any real problems then until the US where it was quite easy to get kit um, but my kit um, on my bike uh, was not replaced for the whole time. I changed my chain twice, I think. <laughs> Only because I felt I should. <laughs> you just didn't want to get your nails dirty. <laughs> I didn't want to get my nails dirty. Although I can do chains and, and, and punctures, but anything other than that, that's getting a bit technical. But I was absolutely amazed um, by my by my bike not um, not breaking down more than it did. And in fact, my tyres, I'm still using the bike now, and my tyres are still, they're not worn um, they're Marathon Schwalbe. Again, we weren't sponsored by them, but they're amazing. They didn't work as well for the guys, um, but I guess they're a bit heavier and were carrying slightly more weight than I was. But I was amazed that after so many miles that the tyres are still good for now. You know, they're, they're still going. Okay, well, we've sort of reversed the interview as normal. We normally talk about kit at the end, but we've, we've got there already. <laughs> we're, we're on to the, the trip itself in a second. So what were, the, what were the bikes that you were riding then, and did you do any sort of basic modifications to it to make it more comfortable before you went? Mine was a, a surly touring bike frame um, and various different parts. There's a lovely guy in a shop called Bicycle in Richmond who put it all together for me. And basically they sort of, um, they even they put on uh, my handlebars. I wanted the butterfly one so they had that ability to change my hand position around the, the handlebars to uh, to sort of stop any sort of carpal tunnel and that kind of thing. And and they're actually Brompton bike handlebars um, because the butterfly handlebars don't really come in women's sizes very much, so they had to sort of take them off a Brompton bike. Um, so mine was quite custom-built to me. Um, Ian got a, a, a Thorn bike, one of the long-distance ones with the Rollhoff hub, 
um, which didn't have any problems at all while he was while he was using it. And Jamie um, had a little bit less of a budget actually to get his bike, so he just bought an aluminium frame off eBay and, and custom built it up himself. And uh, really surprisingly, that's still still going strong as well. <laughs> he was sort of constantly amazed every day. Um, but perhaps may, I, I don't know whether it wasn't as strong as the steel frames that we had, which is perhaps why he had a couple more problems with the. Uh, you know, with his sort of wheels and that kind of thing. I don't know, how, you know, whether it would affect down to there, but, but, you know, he had a lot more punctures as well. But other than that, none of us really, you know, suffered too badly with our bikes and they, you know, they stayed pretty strong all the way through. And we're using uh, we're using cleats or just using tow traps at all? Oh, absolutely using cleats. We actually met a couple who were using. They were actually just um, cycling in flip flops, and they made the decision not to take cycling shoes um, for a weight perspective, and. Uh, and you know, I think they were they were really regretting that particular choice. And now, even cycling around town, if I don't have my uh, if I don't have my cleats fixed into the pedals, then I then I you know I, I sort of already feel that lack of um, uh, I suppose that lack of uh, strength that you have, the extra power that they give you. I would absolutely definitely suggest it on any long distance trip to sort of get used to to clipping into your into your pedals. Wow. Okay. Right. Well, I think we've covered equipment uh, in sort of fairly ext- uh, good uh, good detail there. If there's anything else that comes <laughs> that comes out as we talk, then do by all men- means mention it. Especially if there's anything sort of uh, tips and and so on, which I'm I'm going to ask you at the end, sort of thing. Okay. Um, now, I mean, I can see that if I ask you to tell me about the trip, we could actually be here for the rest of the <laughs> evening. Uh, so I, I'm just sort of wondering, can you break it into sections for us? I mean, leaving leaving London and and sort of the first part of the trip and getting down over to to France, and then perhaps going across uh, from France and, and then take it in, in sections, sort of key moments that were sort of uh, memorable for, for whatever reason. Okay, I said okay. Um, well, I, I think probably just the start was absolutely insane because we'd managed to to get some uh, support from uh, various different solar companies and SolarAid and and Nokia. We actually had quite a few people coming to see us off, um, as well as the mayor, as you as you mentioned earlier. Um, and so it was sort of quite strange in a way because we'd sort of had all this mad panic. We'd all been at work until sort of you know three or four days prior, and and had sort of rammed everything into our panniers. That morning, I was still packing. I hadn't actually got around to do. Doing it, and then we ended up at City Hall, and sort of there's this big fanfare to see us off, and we literally got around the corner and had to start repacking and figure out where we were actually going because, because you know it was almost you know we almost hadn't been able to, to do all that sort of last minute planning because we were so sort of um, caught up with with the, with the actual leaving moment, um, and uh, and so that was that was crazy, and we actually left with two other friends as well, so there was five of us going through France, which was which was wonderful. It was it was a bit more just like sort of a holiday um, at that particular point because it wasn't particularly strenuous cycling, um, and at one particular crazy point we. Only, we'd only cycled about 200, perhaps even 300 miles, and we, we um, got to a wonderful little town called Gen Lee where they have a solar power project, and I'd, I'd contacted them beforehand to say we were coming through, and they provided us with a sort of, you know, very pressed people and, and, um, and you know, canapes, and the mayor came out to visit us and, and, uh, and all this fanfare, and we just felt so fraudulent that we'd travelled such a short distance in terms of our overall trip, and already we, we got given medals, and it was just like, thank you very much, but I really don't think we deserve this just yet. Um, so that way it was just uh, that was just such a wonderful a wonderful time, and then we got across to North Africa. 
um, well, everywhere. I'll probably repeat how wonderful everywhere was, but it was just started to become a little bit more different uh, to, to normal life for us because obviously, um, you know, Europe isn't so different to the UK. But when you start getting into sort of uh, Tunisia and Libya, you know, you begin to see big changes. Um, obviously, the topography was starting to get a lot hotter and uh, a lot sandier. And, uh, and we were in a more Muslim areas, so the architecture was more minarets and, and, uh, and mosques and that sort of thing. And, and the women started to wear more clothes. Uh, and uh, and I started to get more embarrassed about sort of cycling along in um, my rolled up trousers and, and all the rest of it. Um, but it was absolutely wonderful. The, we, the amazing thing about everywhere that we went was that people were incredibly friendly to us all the way around. And the, can, um, I, can I just ask you there? Because I mean, certainly going into North Africa, I've been there myself, and and there is a, a distinctive change of atmosphere when you you cross over from from Spain. Um, and the first thing that crosses your mind, particularly when my case when I was with my, my girls, as it were, uh, was sort of the security aspect and just being unsure of the system of, of politics and social politics. Mm. Um, did you sort of just blazonly just carry on going through and covering up as best you could, or did, were you a bit sensitive to issues and you just were unsure who to ask from your point of view? I think that because we were going through... Some, initially, we sort of, sort of got... Um, into, the, into the area quite gently through Tunisia, which I think it, more people are sort of used to seeing Western tourists and women that don't necessarily wear um, a headscarf or these kind of things. And so it's sort of like a gentle introduction. But as we got further into Libya, we went through quite a few areas where you literally don't see any women for quite a long time. And there was one incident where some goat herders tried to get into my tent. Um, I got out and confronted them and all I could hear around me, because at that particular point, we had four people with us because we had to have a guide in Libya uh, for um, political reasons. They won't let you travel there without a guide. So some uh, poor but wonderful, wonderful guy called Lamin had to trail us in a car at 15 miles an hour across the entire country. Um, but in any case, there was four guys with me at that particular point, and they were all snoring, uh, and no one was coming to my aid at all. And I managed to shoo the goat herders away. Uh, and it was all absolutely fine. But um, but what was interesting is when I spoke to Lamin about it, he, he was sort of explaining it. It wasn't that they thought, um, basically, they just didn't see any women at all. So they assumed the worst of me because they would had no knowledge of any woman who would ever walk around who wasn't covered head to toe and would be out with, with people who weren't her husband or her or her, her brother because this was a particular area where women didn't you know hardly left the home. And so they, they, they did assume that I was, it was rather more easy than I was because they could, did, didn't... It to them that I wouldn't be, if that made sense, mm. because they, wouldn't, they would just assume that any woman who was so brazenly walking around who wasn't um, wearing a full chador, you know, the full sort of burqa, must be, uh, you know, a lady of the night. Um, and so, you know, they, they happily went away when I shooed them off and, you know, and clearly displayed that I wasn't very happy for them to be there. But it was almost a, sort of like an innocent request more than <laughs> more than anything threatening, if that, if that makes sense. And it, it sort of seems quite strange, but, but I think it was just a complete... Um, lack of understanding between two cultures because we were in a very, very rural area where they wouldn't really have access even to sort of television, you know, even if there were programs where you'd see women who weren't fully covered. Um, so so as, a result, as a result of that of that incident then, did, it, did were you just a little bit more cautious and sensitive by, you know, as you continued through that sort of Muslim area? Um, well, generally, I would cycle f- rather more covered in in, uh, in Muslim areas than I would, you know, say when we got through to China or into into the US. Um, and uh, 
but there was obviously I'd have to well I wouldn't have to but I would tend to unless it was very very strict in which I didn't I would roll one leg up slightly on my trousers but not all the way up to my sort of my knee if that makes sense so that uh, and uh, it was just very hot because we were in the desert at that particular point and I wear a top that would have sort of longer sleeves um, but it was sort of a bit of a, a balance between um, between you know wearing so many clothes because it was 50 degrees mm. so you know wearing t- lots and lots of clothes or and or you know the, the incredible discomfort of that and then being offensive to the local people um and it, so it was it was I'm, I'm sure that there were some people who weren't perhaps weren't probably as impressed by me but i think we were more of a curiosity um than than anything other because because we obviously were so different from the local people they sort of almost disassociate you from being the normal people if that makes sense or this this is at least how our our guide explained it to us because i did say you know should i cover up more and when we stopped and when we went into say a restaurant i'd put a sarong around my around my shoulders um to try and be a little bit more modest um but he did say that you know while i'm on the bike you know it, it made more sense just to you know i couldn't really cycle with a sarong around my shoulders um but um, but that he, that people would probably view that we were such an oddity anyway that it wouldn't really occur to them so much that I was sort of displaying a lower arm. <laughs> if that makes sense. Uh, but it, but it was it was interesting going going through that region and there was certainly a point where I felt that um, I re- well, I realised that I was leaning more on the guys to go and buy food and water and do things and just being sort of almost subconsciously standing back a little bit which isn't necessarily my normal nature um just because people would look at you in a certain way or you know either either sort of slightly confused uh, occasionally disparaging but but very very rarely but often just sort of they would stare they would and and it wouldn't even necessarily a threatening stare but you, they would just stare people would just stare at you mm, well, certainly I've, when i've been to um to we went to morocco with my wife and two daughters um uh, we had a, an incident where um, one of the daughters were was ill, so we had to go out in shifts, as it were, to, to make sure there was somebody there. Uh, yeah. and, and when my wife and my daughter went out, they had a terrible time, and they really came back oh, feeling, really? feeling very oppressed and very groped and, and all the rest of it, even though they dressed oh. as conservatively as they could possibly could. You know, they, yeah. they, they weren't brazen at all. But so, so passing through that area then, how long did it take to get through those sort of remote areas onto the next stage? Well, we went through um, through uh, Libya, which was fairly remote in the in the main, because there's a large section in the middle there which doesn't really see. There's not very much there, so you wouldn't go as a tourist, and you wouldn't really even go if you were a Libyan. You know, you know, there's not really much reason to go through. So that was quite remote. And then into the the east of Egypt was also very remote, and it was brilliant though because the police had no idea what we were doing, and so they they ended up following us in a in a in a van for most of our time going across there, which we felt incredibly secure at that particular point because we had increasing numbers. Numbers of, of, of armed escort all the way across, um, but then w- we went on to the Middle East. So it's still a, a Muslim area, so we're still required to cover. And it wasn't necessarily just me. The guys also felt um, slightly as if they not pressured to, to, to wear sort of um, larger clothing. But when they got off the bikes, they did tend to wear trousers and longer sleeves, just because even the even Muslim men tend to dress more conservatively than we would over here. Um, so in terms of in terms of our, our dress and our and our actions, it, it didn't really change that much. But we we did go through a lot more sort of towns and cities and that kind of thing. And we ended up going along the King's Highway in Jordan, which is is, is a fairly well known sort of tourist trail. So we ended up sort of going from quite remote area in the north of Africa to um, to a slightly more built up area with uh, with a few more tourists and uh, and I suppose a slightly more of a Western influence, all the way really up into Syria. And we we nipped across into the Lebanon 
as well. And again, it was it seems a little more in terms of sort of uh, I suppose in terms of. Uh, uh, clothes and uh, and and in, in actions, uh, it was a little bit more liberal, really, than that very um, isolated area across the north of Africa. And we managed to get a beer in a, in a Damascus, so that was quite exciting. <laughs> uh. Thanks to Susie, and once again, congratulations to her, Jamie and Ian, for completing their trip. A great story and very inspirational. It makes you want to get out and live life, doesn't it? So make sure you stay tuned for part two, which will be along very soon, and see how the story concludes. a million listeners worldwide the outdoor station is the leading online audio resource for those into the great outdoors podcasts are based solely around self-powered travel if you walk run cycle paddle climb explore or sail we want to share your adventure hear your highs and lows and inspire others to go out and do more online on demand and always available is the outdoor station. Thank you for listening to this podcast. To hear more from our extensive free library, please visit the website at theoutdoorstation.co.uk. You can now follow The Outdoor Station on Facebook, where we chat about each programme we produce, answer questions and discuss future productions. Why not join us there? This podcast is produced and hosted by theoutdoorstation.co.uk. 